Well, hello again, everyone. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Jensen. And welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. It's really great to have you with us again as we try to bring the gospel to bear on every aspect of our lives. Some gospel thinking for today is our little tagline. And we were thinking, Philip and I, that the topic we might bring some gospel perspective to today is education. It's that time of year, certainly here in Australia, where we're recording, where the kids are going back to school, where parents are usually relieved that that's happening at last. And so it's a time when education's in our minds. And Philip, education is something that Christians have always been invested in and interested in. Yes, education is something, in a sense, everybody's interested in because everybody is the product of education. And everybody is involved in educating, uh, teaching their children, teaching at work. We just, we do teach. But Christians in particular uh, have been concerned for truth and the gospel is conveyed by teaching the truth and the way in which we grow as Christians is by understanding the truth more fully. Um, So, you know, you think of Paul, he thanks God for the Colossians' conversion that they heard the word of truth and understood it. And learned it. And learnt it. And then he prays that they might grow in knowledge so that they might know how to please the Lord. And so we've always been concerned for truth. For a variety of reasons, we've been concerned for truth and deeply invested in uh, in education. We'll come back to the question of, in particular, how Christians historically have been involved in what we think of as education, that is in schooling and schools and colleges mm-hmm. and so on, and in educating children and young people in particular. But you've touched already on the fact that the whole idea of teaching or education presupposes some fairly significant and major theological truths underneath the whole idea that, we believe it's possible to educate someone about our world, about yes. truth. Yes. Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made by Him. And so from the beginning, before the beginning, God existed. <laughs> Outside of creation, God exists. He brings creation into being by His Word. And when He does bring creation into being by His Word... He creates humans in his image and speaks to us and calls upon us to take responsibility. Um, And so the concept of knowledge, word, communication, uh, teaching is, is built into the very fabric of the created order. It's, it's not like the mythical animistic religions where we just kind of arrived nor like the kind of Greek religions where a man became so able that he became kind of divine. Uh, God is outside of this world. And as the one outside of this world has made the world rationally and given us the responsibility of its, of its uh, continued care. The world is a kind of an intelligible place. It's a place that keeps inviting us to understand it. Uh, it's yes. the kind of place that invites us to speak about it. Yes. Isaiah 45, I think it's verse 7, says, no, it's not verse 7, but it's in Isaiah 45. It says that God has created the world not as a chaos, but as a habitable place. It, it's created for our habitation. And so as we think about 
coming to understand the world or the possibility of understanding the world, understanding ourselves, understanding reality through knowledge and understanding. Where does the idea of educating children in that in particular come in and what does that mean? Oh, it's the responsibility of parents. See, God created us in his image, male and female, unites us as husband and wife, that we may be so united as to have children, but more importantly, have godly children. It's in Malachi chapter 2 that God's intention in making us one is that by living faithfully with each other, we may be able to raise our children to the fear and nurture of the Lord. And so education is placed into the hands of parenting. That's You don't just have children and let them go. You have children and teach them in the ways of the Lord. And so you think of the book of Proverbs. You think of the, the wisdom that the book of Proverbs says that parents are to teach their children and the warning of the children to listen to the parents. But also you get back to the law. The responsibility in the law was for the parents to teach their children about the law. Um, Deuteronomy in chapters 4, 5, 6 following, you'll find the importance of the role of parents in teaching their own children. That's teaching them not so much mathematics and their times tables and, and spelling as teaching them who God is, who they are, teaching them character. Teaching them life, yes. Um, how to live, who I am, what I'm to do, how I'm to exist, why I live, how I live, what kind of life I'm going to lead, how I treat other people, how I relate to other people, all the important stuff. I can live without calculus. Thousands of years of people have lived without calculus, and even today there are many people who still live without calculus. You can live without calculus. But I can't live without love. I can't live without other people. I can't live without relating to other people. There, are, This is fundamental to our existence. So is the implication of what you're saying that it's it's not really possible to educate anyone, educate a child, a young person in, in life, in the way of the world, without a theological understanding, without an understanding of the world as a, a created place, a place that has God's purposes woven into it? No. Parents will inevitably teach their children, for better or for worse, they will teach their children. And the parent that abandons the child teaches the child how unimportant they are. You, you, can't, you can't have a child without teaching them. Some of the lessons that people will teach them if they don't know God and they don't know God's law and they don't know God's wisdom will be terrible things to teach the children, will be really bad. Uh, one of the great problems of divorce is that the children of families of divorce are more likely to divorce themselves when they get older, and so it continues through several generations. Of course, remember, I'm speaking in generalities. There's always the individual child who grows up in a household of smokers and who decides never to smoke or a household of alcoholics and never drinks alcohol. But in generalities, no, it doesn't happen because parents will teach children, whether they want to or not, whether they're conscious of doing it or not, inevitably they will do it. The person who teaches you most in life is your mother. It's interesting that even in those situations where, for example, 
a child of a divorced family is determined not to have a divorce. In fact, does everything within their power to not have a divorce. In fact, marries and sets up their whole lives because it's, again, because they've been taught something by their parents. Yes. They've been taught about how? just how damaging divorce is. And whatever I do when I get into that circumstance, I'm not going to let that happen to me. Absolutely, yes. And so, I've seen it happen in the lives of people I know. Mm. Mm, indeed, me too. So teaching is inevitable. All parents can teach. All parents do teach their children, regardless yes. of who they are. Um, and what they believe. But in terms of educating children for life in this world that's a created place, is it possible really to undertake that education well and to teach children well without teaching them of God? No. You will teach them the folly of the world's wisdom. Now, it may function, it may work all right in to a certain extent. Um, it may well work in terms of becoming a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, a ophthalmologist or whatever it is that you want to become. It may well work in terms of uh, teaching them a happy family life, etc. But it will always be fundamentally flawed and deficient if it does not include God because it's not true. It's not the reality of the world that you no. happen to live in. No, that's right. So you may be moral, but you won't have any reason for being moral. And so your morality then becomes self-centred in a sense. It makes you feel good to be moral. So if parents have this primary place, both in principle and in fact, in shaping and teaching and educating their children, why have Christians started schools? Isn't that kind of outsourcing or taking in some way the educational task away from parents? Why have Christians always been the first people to start schools? Well, I mean, it's partly history and partly of why we should, and so on. So, I mean, historically, we, we have, here in Australia, nearly all the educational system came out of parish church schools. Um, there were private and expensive people who ran private kind of uh, academies and institutions, but in general, the education, the older schools in Australia were church schools, were started by Christians. In fact, the idea of universal education came out of the Sunday school movement with the ragged school movement where people were teaching children to read and write, as Mark Twain would put it, because you've got to read the Bible to get to heaven, and if you don't know how to read, you can't read your Bible, so if you've got to read, so as to learn to get to heaven. Um, and so we ran schools so that people would be able to read their Bibles, which is why education grew in Protestantism and Protestant countries rather than in Catholic schools and Catholic countries, that is, universal education. And so we had practical reasons why historically we were always interested in starting schools and education. But today, why are we still interested in education is, is slightly different in that regard. We've persuaded the community to run government schools, to run universal education so so much so that it is kind of normal in western societies to think everybody will get an education and it's so normal that people have forgotten that it was christians who actually persuaded the community to do it in the first place and were doing it long before the government took over in the doing of it and so they you hear people saying well why are the church is interested in education which is just a failure to understand the history of how we got to where we are today so you're saying that Christians started schools because we believe in these theological truths about knowing the world. We wanted 
everybody to have access to some of the tools of understanding, some of the basic tools of understanding, like reading and writing. And we felt and knew that not every family would be able to do that. And so we started schools so that everyone could learn to read and write. It was an act of, in that sense, an act of good works, an act of charity to, to make education more available to more people. But now that that's become, in a sense, an accepted part of our Western culture, that everyone should have access to that kind of edu- basic education about the world, why do we still run schools? Well, for many people, we, we shouldn't. They've got the homeschooling movement. We think we don't need to run schools. But for most parents, the technological information that now needs to be held in a, by an adult in a Western civilization is far greater than the mum and dad are able to provide. And so we, we put our children into schools where specialist educators and specialists in disciplines can provide the information for our children that we ourselves couldn't provide. We also um, are putting our children into the world in a safe place. That is, having had for a few years our children in our home and protected from the world, we they need to go into the world. We need to educate them how to live in the world, not just how to live in our home. And school provides the safe place for children to have their first experiences of the world. You know, your, your early kindergarten teachers, whose names you most likely remember, they were the first non-family adults who took an interest in you. And that's why they're so important to you. You don't remember what they taught you. That the, the, the content wasn't the key. It was the person who was the key. And that's why our, it's very important that we screen who these people are because they are so important to the development of young families, young lives. So as Christians, as Christian denominations, as Christian organisations, why are we still engaged in that activity rather than just handing over the, as you said, the sort of the technological, specialised, informational um, distribution of organisation and teaching and training and skills and knowledge, just hand that over to specialists. doesn't matter whether they're Christian or non-Christian. It's just knowledge after all. Two times two is four, whether a Christian teaches it or, or someone else. So why do Christians and churches still run schools? Well, because, and why should we? And why should we? Well, partly because we care for children and we care for um, the society that we're in and want to make contribution for the welfare of it, partly because the fundamental of education is not in the technology. It, it doesn't matter if I know the difference between a gardenia and a... Uh, give me another name. Chrysanthemum. Mm. But that really is not what is important in the education of Philip Jensen. What is important is growing my character, growing my mind, growing my inquisitive nature, growing my ability to to think and to reason and to have morals and ethics. Growing Now, that actually comes from the context of Christianity or it comes from the context of secularism or Hinduism or Buddhism or something else. You, you can't teach even science, even maths, in a moral vacuum. There is no moral, ethical, intellectual vacuum in which you can place information, really. It always comes in that wider background. Now, because it's background, people aren't necessarily aware of it. They're concentrating on how do I conjugate this verb? 
they're not actually thinking about the nature of language in its role with culture and the immorality of the culture of which this little verb is part, or the importance of communication and the capacity for humans to be able to communicate and why we are able to communicate in different languages. The cows can't do it, the dogs can't do it, the bears can't do it. Why can humans do it? What, what are we trying to, to do in learning the skills of communication? You see, unless you place your education in a wider context, it's a very superficial education. You can get that anywhere, that superficial education, but it's the values that lie behind it that really matters. In other words, an understanding of the world that's shaped by our knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, it's going to shape almost every aspect of that education. It's going to shape what we think a man is, what we think a woman is. Yes. It's going to shape what we think the purpose of life is. It's yes. going to shape how we think about the world. For example, something even as basic as whether we think the world is an environment to be protected, like a neutral thing separate from us, or whether it's God's creation um, that we as humans are part of, it's God's creation, but have a stewardship and a responsibility for. It strikes me just in my own children, and I see it even more in my grandchildren, are being taught through our schooling system a view of the world as an environment and an ideology of environmentalism that is very heavily value-laden, ideologically driven, and which doesn't really connect with a Christian view of creation, except perhaps in its in its ancestry. Yes. Um, but in its purposes and its drive, it's teaching a whole manner of thinking about life yes. that is quite different. And if you ask what is the end point of, of the education, well, part of our problem in a multicultural, polycultural kind of society like pluralistic society like ours is there isn't any. There can't be one agreed outcome to education. And so we then have fairly serious problems on personal issues like what is masculinity? What are we trying to train young boys to be and to act and to live? And is that different to what we're training girls for? And if so, how is it different? What do we want the girls for? What is our hope and aspiration for these young women? Because you can say, well, we don't have any hopes and aspirations for them. We want them to go and do their own thing. Because that's a nonsense, because we've got a curriculum. And we follow this curriculum and we, we teach them the things that we think are going to be helpful to them to be we don't know what. And so we, we actually have a very heavily laden ideological curriculum. Oh, it certainly is value-laden, and that comes through very clearly in things like school speech nights. You said, I've sat through a lot of, sadly, a lot of school speech nights in my time. I can't remember many speeches either from headmasters or headmistresses, from the head girl or the prefects who are talking about their dreams. I can't remember a single one of them who ever said that one of the great dreams and values and purposes of this education that is, is that I would raise a great family, either as a, a boy or a girl, that I would be a great father and raise children who uh, to, to know and love God and to take their place in the world, or to be a wonderful mother who made a home I can't, in scores of school speeches, have you ever heard that as a value or as a goal or a purpose for what I've learned at school? Yes, they're classic illustrations of the problem. They have careers days. Well, if you're a Christian, that's a problem anyway because we don't have careers. But it's also an educational problem because you're not teaching 
truth for truth's sake. You're treating truth for some kind of self-aggrandizement stake or some kind of economic growth stake. But when they have careers days, they'll bring all kinds of different careers in front of the students to, to choose from, but they never choose, they never provide homemaker as a career. Large percentage of the women are going to be, that's they're going to be their lifetime's work. Their most important work they do is having their children. We know that children thrive and flourish better when they are in the home of, the, of their parents in a stable context with mum and dad. Faithfulness in marriage, therefore, is an important thing to be teaching the next generation. We also know that women and babies do better if the woman starts her children before 30. And so here we've got girls at 18 being told to go and get careers which are going to take more than 10 years. And by the way, you may bump into someone and somewhere along the line have babies, but you don't need to worry about that till... Well, you don't need to worry about it because it's not important. And so we're not actually giving the model of family life is important. It's the same with the boys. You've got this toxic masculinity, which is now a tautology. You know, all toxics are masculines and all masculines are toxic. And so we've got this toxic man, and we're complaining that boys are this and men are that. But what's the positive alternative we're giving to young boys? I mean, boys' education is really suffering severely at the moment. They do worse in the HSC because the HSC is designed to maximise the kind of advantage that girls have, seeing they mature faster than boys. Consequently, only 40% of our students at university are now boys because so many drop out on the way through school and or don't do as well in the HSC or whatever the A-levels or whatever the equivalent end-of-school exam is that you do. But when they do get out, we still haven't told them what they're to be as a man. What is a man like? The feminists tell them a man is to be like a woman. That's what it's to be like. But the idea of being able to give them the real role models of a leadership that is self-sacrificial, caring lovingly in service of people, especially those weaker than yourself, that kind of Christ-like model is not actually provided within the school curriculum it is occasionally provided by accidents because that's what the, the local male teacher is like, but often it's not even there. So in an explicitly Christian school, if Christians are still running schools as we do, these are the kinds of issues Christian schools need to be thinking through. How are we as, a, as an explicitly and specifically Christian school teaching a view of the world, of men, of women, of, the, of character, of value, that is rooted in the reality that we, we read about in Scripture and which actually forms young men and women for their life in the world. Yes. I mean, I'm not there in the situation. So, um, but in theory, uh, and in fact, yes, Christian schools do need to rethink society. So take some titles like uh, Career Officer or Human uh, Resources Department that are in big Christian schools. Those titles are awful. We want to help people get jobs. We don't want to train people to get careers. We, that distorts uh, education. So the universities used to have open days. Then they changed their careers days because the whole purpose of the education is your job. 
But it's more than your job. It's having a career that is important. And human resources, humans are not resources. <laughs> That's not what we are. What was wrong with the old term personnel officer? Someone who looked after the personnel. But we've got this human resources. It's, to use a different illustration, the same kind of language problem. When we change from Department of Prisons to Department of Corrective Services, the more you think about that title, Corrective Services, the more Stalinist and awful it is as a title. It's creepy. It is a really creepy title, but nobody objects to it. But it does change the way you run prisons. Well, human resources, career officers. So Christian schools need to rethink Christianly what they're doing, which is going to be more and more out of step with the world as the world turns more and more away from Christianity. We were saying earlier, though, that education is primarily the responsibility of the parent. And so what we're saying about Christian schooling is not to say that this is the job of the Christian schools to do this, not the parents. It's in loco parentis, as the, as That's the, 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 right cla- term. As the classical yes. term put it, uh, in the place of, and not in the place of as instead of or replacing the role of parents, but as a delegated authority. I think one of the issues for Christian parents is maintaining the energy, interest and diligence and faithfulness to exercise that parental teaching responsibility in the midst of a busy life and not thinking that it's entirely outsourced to another organisation, whether that's a Christian school that will supposedly do it for me or a secular school. Or or worse still, uh, I think you you get your six-year-old and put him in boarding school till he's 18. I mean, that teaches the child what's important and what is unimportant. And family life is unimportant. In fact, they are unimportant. You know, they're an inconvenience to the ch- to the parents. It's a, it's a damaging way to treat little children, to put them into... Sometimes you have to do it because you're on far remote country, a station or something like that, or you have to go overseas. But unless... Unless the child can see the reason is of enormous importance, they will, as most of my friends who have been through that experience, resent their parents and be aloof from their parents because their parents have taught them their unimportance. And so whenever we talk about education and a gospel way of thinking about education, um, a way of thinking about education that puts the Lord Jesus Christ in the centre of the picture as the one who determines what's true in the world as the, and the direction of, of our kids' lives... The question almost always resolves into the the age-old debate about what Christian parents should do with their children. Should we homeschool them? Should we send them to the local public school? Should we send them to the local Christian school or the local church school? But thinking about educational responsibility as primarily a matter of someone's character and life and overall personality as shaped by the truth of the gospel and of God and of the parent's responsibility as being primary in that, it does help to answer that question, doesn't it? Well, it does. I, I have three children, um, and therefore three families have got of grandchildren. One goes to the state schools, one goes to church schools, and the other goes to Christian schools. And I watch the, the development, and with all due respects to all my children and their choices, it's not all that different, <laughs> because their parenting is good. Whichever system that you're in... The important part is the parenting. So I taught my children because we did it with them, and I've noticed they do it with their children. When the school reports come, they don't look at the marks, 
They don't look at the grades. They look at the comments about behaviour and contribution to the welfare of the class, the school, how the teacher sees them, because that's the important part of the education. Whether they got an A in English or a B in English, well, next year they'll do something different. It doesn't really matter. But whether they are rude to the teachers, whether they have friends, whether they are an obnoxious part of the classroom, mind you, reports these days are so sanitised they'll never say the truth like that, but whether they are the child who's making valuable contributions for the welfare of other people, now that is real education. That's what matters. It's also true that what's required of you as a parent uh, in taking final responsibility for the, the growth of your, ch- your children, including their intellectual development and yes. how they grapple with yes. ideas and how they grow in their understanding, mm. that will vary from place to place, from school to school, and it will, the challenge will often vary from the different kinds of schools that you're yes. in. So if your kids are in a secular school, and some of my kids went to public schools at various points, some of the discussions you'll be having at night as you talk through issues with them in their homework will be very different. Will be very different from a discussion you might have. You might have a very, quite a different issue to talk through them. For example, if they go to a Christian school or a church school in which being Christian, in a sense, is officially the thing to do, it's the establishment. It's officially normal. Exactly. Mm. In fact, to be a Christian is to align yourself with the authority of the school. Yes. Which, as a young person, depending on how old you are, is exactly the wrong thing to do. Mm. It, it creates all kinds of other issues in terms of being authentically really Christian as opposed to just identifying yourself as one because it happens to work, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yes, that's right. And so there's different issues at each one of them. If you go to the big church schools, which tend to be rich schools as much as anything else, where chapel is perfunctory and where values can be expressed in terms of clothes and sport and overseas holidays and latest gadgets, to be able to help them see through the kind of values of wealth is an issue that is very important, which you may or may not have to struggle with when your kids are going to a local school where half the children are actually very poor. So how can we round this off, Philip? What would you want to say to encourage parents who are listening to this conversation as they send their kids back to school for this year? Well, there's two things. One is you send your kids to school, as most people do. That doesn't abrogate you of your responsibility of education. Yours is the education. The school is only assisting you in your education of your children. You need to spend the time with them and not just leave it to the schools to be doing what they're doing. Your interest in them and their schoolwork is critically important for their development and more so at some ages than others. You know, junior teenagers where the peer group becomes seemingly more powerful than the parents, don't give up. Don't give up to the peer group. You keep showing interest in them and their peer group so that in the day comes when they get past that stage and the peer group dissolves, you are still there. You're still part of their life. One thing is that. The second thing is have confidence. You can't actually beat the impact of parenting. Our government, one of our governments recently, I can't remember if it was federal or state, was saying that the chief indicator of educational outcome is family background. And government officer was really unhappy with that. And he did not want to have your family of uh, origin as being the basis of your educational outcome. Well, that's the trouble with governments. They think they're God. You can't actually beat God's creation of the family. 
And so have confidence. The society around about you may be hostile to what you believe. They may be hostile to the gospel. But have confidence. If God will be with you and your children, you must continue to trust that he will bring about in their life the lessons of life that you give them. I guess that gives a third thing. In as much as you're able, make sure you give the right lessons too. So if you get sucked into the kind of value system of the world around about you, you'll be teaching your children that value system too. Whereas if you are distinctively Christian, that will help teach your children to be that as well. Insofar as you want your children to be learners, to be disciples, we haven't talked much about that language very much, but that's what the word disciple means. But insofar as we want our children to be learners, learners of God and learners of the world, we we do them the greatest favour in that by being learners ourselves, by Absolutely. being disciples of Jesus, by growing yep. ourselves in our understanding of the world and who we are and learning from him what it means to live as his people. Yes. And showing that to our kids as we do so. Yeah, that's right. This might be a good place to round off our conversation. Thanks, Philip, for, for those thoughts uh, and leading us in that conversation about schooling and education. There's lots there to think about, and I'm sure that many of you have opinions about these matters. It's an issue that all of us who are Christian parents have had to think through at some level. And if you wish to get in touch and share your insights and your ideas, how you've found being a Christian parent and some of the lessons you've learned trying to educate your children in the ways of the Lord in such a complex world, well, please get in touch and let us know and and we'll share some of the best of them. And whether that's the issue you want to email me about and get in touch with or you just want to ask a question or make a comment about one of our past issues or additions, please don't hesitate. Just send me an email at tonyjpain at me.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Let's finish by praying as we normally do. And I think certainly both of us having been parents and knowing just how challenging it is to raise our children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord, I think prayer is, is an important way to finish. Very. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Father from whom all fatherhood is named. And we do thank you, Father, for children and for the privilege we have of serving them by raising them in your fear and nurture. And we do pray, Father, you would give us that wisdom from above that will enable us to act as wise parents and guardians, caring for them as we teach them your ways. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.